You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, Happy New Year, everyone here. I just Again, it's great to be with you here this morning, opening up God's Word again. It's exciting to see 2022 before us. And as we begin this ministry year, I want to, this morning, encourage you, but not only encourage you, but to challenge you as well by talking to you about our identity in Christ and our mission for Christ. As we begin this year, I know, so, so please uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, I just want to read two verses uh, there this morning. Before we look into those verses, the last couple years has, it has seemed, I don't probably for, for most of us, it has seemed as it's been basically a fight for survival. Not only in our everyday lives, but also in, in church life, it's been a fight for survival. And so oftentimes when we're in that survival mode, we can, again, as I mentioned last week, we can forget some things about God. We can easily forget about who we are in Christ, our identity. We can forget about our mission. Sometimes they can get lost. And so today, I just want to remind us again of, again, who we are in Christ and of our mission for Christ. And so let me read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. This is the word of God. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God, and we thank God for his word. And the, the idea that I want to show you here this morning and argue this morning is that our identity in Christ fuels or motivates our mission for Christ. It sort of guides our mission for Christ. And so the church back in the first century that, that Peter was writing to was, was uh, facing immense pressure from the world around them. Uh, they were living under the emperor Nero, and if you know anything about church history, Nero was particularly harsh to the Christian church and uh, persecuted the church, and they were facing a lot of pressure. And here, as they were facing this pressure, Paul, uh, Peter here is rather reminding them of who they are, their identity in Christ, and, and telling them that, that, that this is what defines you. This is who you are, and as a result, you have a great mission. Even in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trial, in the midst of struggle, there's still this mission that God has to each other and to the world around us. 
And again, I just want to remind us here and challenge us perhaps of this. And so first, what we find here, the first um, point that I want to make is that church, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Now, I think it's safe to say today that there's a, a, a real struggle for identity. <laughs> it's a real struggle. It's a confusing time, and, I, and honestly, I think it's the outworking of, of the, 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 the notion that people think that all truth is relative. No, truth isn't relative. But I think we see the outworking of that. And, and not only that, but... but as, as we think about identity and as, as we think about these questions of who we are, I think Eric Parkers um, points out, he says, virtually every action of our lives is an attempt to answer the question, who am I? And, and, and that is what the culture around us is asking today more than ever, especially our youth, who am I? David Powelson puts it this way, who are you? What gives a man or a woman uh, his or her identity? On what foundation are you building your sense of self? Your answer, whether true or false, defines your life. Do you see how important this is, this issue of, of identity? He continues, perhaps you construct yourself by the accomplishments listed on your resume. That's how some people identify themselves. You might identify yourself by your lineage or ethnicity or by your job history or schools you've attended, by your marital status or parental role. Perhaps you define who you are by your political leanings or, or the object of your sexual longings. Or he says, your sense of right might be based on money or lack thereof, or your achievements or failures, or your, the approval of others, or their rejection, or your self-esteem or self-hatred. Perhaps you think of your sins that define you. Maybe you're an angry person. Maybe that's what defines you, you think. Or, or you're an addict, or, or you're an anxious people pleaser. These are the things that define you, or perhaps afflictions is what defines you. You're maybe a disability, maybe cancer, or maybe divorce. Even your Christian, even we as Christians can, can get caught up in this. Even our Christian identity might be anchored in something that's not God. We can easily go there, right? Maybe, maybe it's based on your Bible knowledge. Maybe it's the fact that you're smarter than everybody else when it comes to Bible knowledge. Maybe it's your giftedness. Or, or the church denomination you're, you're a part of. Maybe that, that's what defines you. In each case, and I want you to listen to this here this morning, your sense of identity becomes unglued from God who actually defines you. Right? Becomes unglued. Or maybe your identity is wrapped up, again, may I say it, your, your views of the pandemic. Maybe that's where your identity is. For it or against it or... Wherever you are. But in each case, your sense of identity becomes unglued from God who actually defines you. And, and once we lose that, that's, well, once we lose that identity, we lose our sense of purpose, lose our sense of direction when we don't know who we are in Christ. And so Peter here does not want the church in the first century to become unglued from God. He wants to remind them again of, of who they are. 
And your true identity is, is, is who God says you are, right? And so first of all, that we see here in our identity is that you are, what Peter says here is that you are a chosen race. This is what he says about the church in the first century. This is what he says about us here. The fact that, that they are a chosen race, that God chose them. He took the initiative. And, and again, if you look back in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Right at the beginning, Peter says, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles, so they're chosen and in exile. And the reason and how they know that they were chosen, a chosen race, is verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. God invaded their lives. They were chosen for salvation. And again, it's, and it's amazing to think that, that God chose them. God, that God chose us. And of course, this is an Old Testament concept. If, 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 if you read, I don't know if you uh, read your Bible through in a year or do reading, Bible reading plans or what, but, but if you do that, you'll notice as you keep on reading through the Bible, that this is what God does. This is how he's acted in history, and especially in the Old Testament. We read Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath and he swore to your forefathers that the Lord has brought you out of, with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of the king of Egypt. Do you see that there? It wasn't because of anything that Israel did that, that God would say, oh, look over the peoples of the earth. Oh, yeah, you know what? They're, they're pretty good people. I'm, I'm going to choose them. No. God chose them because of his love, because of his promises. And, of course, Peter here is describing this of the New Testament church. You are a chosen race. And, and God chose to set his love and affection upon you, upon us, upon his church. That's who we are. We are loved by God. He set his affection upon us. I don't know about you, but as we think about that, that we are his chosen people, it is amazing to think it's not because of what we have done, because of our goodness, because of our lineage or who we are, he was gracious to us. Isn't that something to praise God for? The second thing that we see here this morning is that we, not only were they a chosen race, but look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That's how he describes the church. Not, not just the pastors in the church or the elders in the church or the leaders in the church. No, he describes the church as a royal priesthood. 
chosen to be a royal priesthood. Look back in verses, uh, verse four, it says, you have come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, yourselves like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. Notice, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you're a royal priesthood. Again, he's using Old Testament language to describe the nation of Israel. Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6 says, Now if you fully obey me and keep my commandments, or keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Well, what does that mean? It means that we are we to offer ourselves to God, just, just like a priest would, would, would offer sacrifices in the temple, would, would serve God, would, would serve the people, but also serve God in the temple and, and offer sacrifices and, and do all of those activities um, that were associated with the temple. So we as believers, as a church, are, are, are serving God. We give our lives to serve God. Romans 12, if you have your Bibles, turn over there. Romans 12 describes again what that looks like for us as we offer ourselves to God in service to him. Notice verse 1, it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We offer ourselves to God to be used by him wherever he desires, not to be conformed to this world, again it says there, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. But as we serve God, we we seek to carry out his will, his plans and purposes for the church. That's what we're committed to as a church, as God's people, to carry out his plans, his purposes. Not our plans and our purposes. It's not about us. It's about serving him, right? And again, as he continues, with the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For in one body we have many members, and, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. We serve by using the gifts that God has given to us. Did you know that each and every one of you who are part of this church have a ministry? You have a ministry. Now, it might not come with a nice title or a, or a position in the church or maybe a paycheck or whatever, but we all have a function. We all have a part to play. And especially in the one another ministry, we have a ministry to each other, to encourage each other each and every day. As you come to church, how, how do you come to church? Do you come to church thinking, well, what, what can I get out of this? You know, I hope the service is going to be good today. I hope the music is going to be good today because that's, you know, it's what I need. Well, you might need that, but, but, or do you come saying, well, who can I encourage today? 
Who might need a Bible verse for me to uh, encourage them with? Who, 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 might, who might need some prayer this morning? Who might need just a conversation so that we can just encourage them? And I know people have been cooped up today and we, we need fellowship, we need encouragement. How can I bless someone else today? How can I serve? And, and in your small groups, if you're part of a small group, I encourage you to all be a part of a small group. We have so much ministry there to one another, to encourage one another and help one another with the struggles that we face each and every day and the challenges we experience. We have a ministry to each other. We serve the Lord by serving one another, encouraging them the best we can, surrendering our lives to Christ, recognizing that he alone is our Savior. He alone is worthy of all our praise. He alone is worthy of my whole life. We love Christ. We love his people. We love the church. We point people to Christ who don't know Christ. We show them by our lives and by our words of who Christ is. We challenge people. That's what it means to be a royal priesthood. That's what we are, church, a royal priesthood. Thirdly, it says there also, we are a holy nation. We are a holy nation. Back in 1 Peter You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The word holy here, of course, means to be set apart, and I think you've been taught this well, been set apart, be different, that's the idea there. We are, as believers in Christ, we are holy through justification. We've been justified once and for all through the blood of Jesus Christ as we come to faith in Christ. But we're also being made holy through sanctification each and every day. We're growing in Christ, putting to death sin in our lives and and, and, and living according to the will of God. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, he has, it says there, that made perfect forever. So you're justified. You know, your stance before God will never change. Once you're justified, you're justified before him. You are his forever. But there's still a problem, right? There's still sin in our lives. We still struggle with sin, don't we? Remaining sin in our lives but we're also being made holy through the means of grace that he has given to us, through the church, through the word of God. Because what was happening here in this church, they were called to be a holy nation. But when you're being persecuted, And when you're facing a great struggle for being a Christian, what do you think naturally happens? We naturally are are tempted to to not necessarily live holy lives, to, to not live like we're set apart, right? We we wanna we wanna blend in, we wanna be like everybody else, right? to go along with the lifestyle and the attitude around us, to play it safe. That's what we're tempted to do, right? But look at what what Peter says here back in chapter one. He says here, be holy. 
Well, let's jump back to verse 13 of chapter 1. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Notice, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is set, is, 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 is set in the revelation of Christ when he returns. That's where our hope lies. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for, for I am holy. Now, what is the standard of holiness there? Is it the world around us? No, God is the standard here, right? God and his word is, is the standard. No matter how progressive the world might be around us or, or how outdated people think you are, there's still a, a, a standard of living the Bible teaches us. Now, of course, we don't live that perfectly on this side of heaven, but it's something that we grow to, that's something that with the help of the Holy Spirit and the help of it and the word of God, through the word of God, that we grow to be holy and to live differently than the world around us. I think that's so important for us to be reminded of that. For me as well to be reminded of this because I think there's going to be more and more pressure coming each and every, every year. There's more, I don't know what pressures we're going to face in 2022, but we might be facing more and more pressure to conform. 1 John 2, 15 to 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Again, this is a challenging verse. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You see, when we live like the world, we show that Christ is not worth it. We show that Christ is not powerful. We show that Christ is not all satisfying. Right? That's what we show to the world, that, that, oh, your faith, it's not really real. It's through the transformation of our lives to live holy lives. The transformation that comes through the working of the Holy Spirit through the word of God is a powerful witness to the grace and power and love of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what we're called to. That, that's who we are. It, it, it makes a difference how we live. We are called to be distinct. Not perfectly distinct, but growing in holiness. And maybe that might be a challenge for us, for you, this coming year. In what ways can we grow in holiness? What ways can you grow in holiness? Not only are we a holy nation, but we belong to God. Notice what it says there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. A, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We belong to God. He is our possession. Notice our treasured possession. Again, taking from Exodus 19 from the Old Testament, it says, now if you fully obey me, keep my covenant out of all nations, you will be my what? My treasured possession. 
Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, you are my people, holy to the Lord. For God has chosen, Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples of the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. If you are, just think about this for a second. Let this, let this just sink deep in. If you are in Christ, you are his treasured possession. Remember the God, God we talked about last Sunday? Who knows all things, who sees all things, who is everywhere, who, who is sovereign. We as a church are his treasured possession. We belong to him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? We are his. It, it's it's mind-boggling now. Now, of course... The challenge is, of course, are, how do we make, like, is God our treasured possession? Is Christ our treasured possession? I like what one, one writer said. He said, as you contemplate new habits and resolutions this year, I don't know if you've done that. It is January 2nd, so if you haven't yet, you're kind of late. But he says this, spiritual disciplines are not about making you more precious to God. Think about that for a second. In some of your New Year's resolutions, you might say, oh yeah, I want to read my Bible more. Well, that's a spiritual discipline. I might want to pray more. I might want to witness more or, or serve in the church more. Maybe this year is a year that you're going to volunteer in different places. Well, you have to understand that you're not doing that to make you more precious to God. You're doing that to make God more precious to you. See the difference there? Because there's nothing we could, if you are in Christ, there's nothing that can make you more or less precious to God because of Christ. You are his treasured possession. There's nothing we can do to earn more favor from God He's all done that in Christ. We we are his treasured possession. And maybe this year, as we think about New Year's resolutions, or as as, as we think about this coming year, these spiritual disciplines and what we do are all for the purpose of making God more precious to us. Growing in, 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 in the fact that he is to be precious to us. He is to be number one in our lives. Christ is to be our treasured possession. And that's what happens when you start reading the Bible more. That's what happens when you start praying more. It's not about changing God's mind, it's about changing our hearts. And oftentimes accepting what God has planned for us. And here's a challenging verse, because we belong to God, we are his Here's a challenging verse for today in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. It says, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now here's that, hear this. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 
That's some huge application for us today. We honor God with everything we are. We serve him. We follow his direction. Not the, there's so many voices around us today that are trying to distract us and try to lead us away from God and his will, away from following God and his truth that we see in the word of God. But this is who we are. If you are in Christ, you've been bought with a price. And what was that price? The Lamb of God, right? Who died on the cross for our sin. He paid the price so that we can be free from the judgment and wrath to come for our sin. And we can have this loving relationship with our Heavenly Father because of Christ, because our sin has been paid for. And so church, here this morning, I think it's important to say, know who you are in Christ. Know who you are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That, that's who you are. I don't know if that should, that, that should fire you up here this morning and stir you up. Because that's who you are in Christ. Because secondly this morning, the second main point I want to share with you this morning, remember your mission. Notice what it says here. You, it says that you are his own possession. Notice the word. That you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice here that, that, that who we are motivates or fuels this, this mission that we have. Because if we are his chosen race, if we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people's own possession, yes, we have a lot to proclaim, don't we? We have a lot to testify to. But the greatness of God, notice what it says there. It says, proclaim, that word uh, describes, it, it means to report. And I think we, uh, obviously, we report with our life and with our words, right? Often we say our actions speak louder than words, and yeah, they do, right? And that's what he's been trying to get the, the, the church in the first century to understand, that yes, it's important how you live, because how you live reveals who Christ is, it reveals your faith, it reveals, what does it say in James? Faith without works is what? Is dead, right? Yeah, you're not saved by your works, but if you have true faith, it'll work out in your lives and people will see what is happening in your lives, that there is a difference in your lives, right? And so here as we think about this, as, as we proclaim, yeah, it's life and words. Again, he's taking from, from the Old Testament again, Isaiah 43, verse 20 and 21, it says there, the wild animals honor me, it says, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. Isn't that amazing? What are we to proclaim? Well, it says here the excellencies of him. Well, what, what does that mean, the excellencies? Well, I think most importantly, it means all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. 
right? That's the excellencies. His, his greatness, his sovereignty, his, his love for us in sending his one and only son to die on the cross so that we might have new life and that we can live in a loving relationship with our heavenly father. That is the excellencies of God. I like what Don Carson says. He says, the excellencies of God that Isaiah had in view are manifested in the deliverance of his people from the exile. The excellencies of God that Peter has in view are manifested in the salvation and transformation of his people. Well, what, what, what? We proclaim again our life, how our, we proclaim Christ, the truth of who Christ is and what he has done for us. And we proclaim how that has transformed our lives. I think, I think the fact that we, you have to understand, church, that we are all, again, trophies of God's grace. All of us are trophies of God's grace. We proclaim him because of all that he has done to transform our lives. And, and again, that's a great reminder for us Again, we're to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, first of all, to each other. The scholars believe that this can be, you know, to each other in the church and, of course, out to the world around us. So first of all, in the church, we proclaim the excellencies of Christ to each other. That's, that's why singing is so important. Have you ever thought about why we sing each and every Sunday? You know, the music is great here at Harvest, and, and, I, and I love it, and, and, uh, but there's more than going on than just singing. You know, as you sing, you see other people sing, right? And you know what those other people perhaps have gone through through the week, and here they are singing the praises of God. As we sing, we sing, yes, we sing to God and we sing truths back to him and we praise him. Yes, we do that. We, we honor him and glorify him. But also there's a secondary ministry of singing is that we sing to each other. We encourage each other as we sing to one another. Sing the truths of God as we hear each other sing. That's amazing ministry that we have. That even though, yes, whatever we go through in the week, yes, we're here to sing. The, I love that last song we sung, All Glory Be to Christ our King. We sing that to each other. Importance of testimonies. That's why small groups, again, is so important for growth in your Christian life. You, again, testify of the good things that God has done in your lives, and you ask for prayer requests, and you see how prayers are answered it's amazing to see. But yes, we proclaim the excellencies of the world around us as well. All that Christ has done for us, we, we have a mission to the world around us. Yes, we, 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 we live lives that are transformed lives. But transformed lives doesn't save people. It's the truth of the gospel that saves people. The word still needs to be proclaimed. Still needs to be talked about. Christ still needs to be talked about. The invitation, gospel invitation still needs to be given. 
that God saves us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all who put their faith in him will be saved. Their sins will be forgiven. And they'll have new life in him here and now and also in the life to come. We proclaim Yes, our lives, our transformed lives might give us an opportunity to speak to people and to encourage people and to challenge people, but we still need to talk about Christ. And I think here's a challenge for us here this morning. I guess the question is, what do you talk about most in your life? Each and every day, what do you, what do you talk about most? No, of course, we all have, have, have things to talk about, right? Uh, if you're at work, you know, your coworkers, they've got stuff they want to talk about, right, at break, or as you're working together with them, maybe someone's into working out and they talk about their latest routine or a sports fanatic and they, they like to just talk about their favorite sports team or maybe someone likes to party and maybe like to just talk about how much fun they had the night before. Or, you know, people talk, right? Yeah, we, we can talk about these things and engage in conversation and get to know people and all that kind of th- stuff. Yes, those are important to do, but, but what is your love, your joy? What do you love to talk about? What is your, your hope? Where is your hope? Uh, I read a verse earlier today. It says, Set your hope fully on the grace that will brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our lives, our hope is to be not in this world, in our things, in our stuff, in each other. We are to set our hope fully on Christ and his return. Looking forward to that day when he, we will see him face to face. That's where our hope is set. And no matter what they are going through here in, in the first century, the persecution, persecution like we've never seen or, or understood even ourselves, but as we look at, think about that pressure they must have been facing and going through, their hope was not in in deliverance necessarily from persecution, although that would have been nice. They would have probably preferred that. They probably would have preferred not to be persecuted than persecuted. But their hope was in heaven. And that's what helped them through. And if that is your hope, if, if, if that is what your life is about, that is a life that preaches, right? It's a life that says something to the world around us. But yes, and that may, be, again, be the opportunity that we can talk about Christ. Well, think, well, I'm, I'm too busy for that. Well, I like what one author said. He talks about oftentimes ministry happens in the cracks of life. Says, he says this, whether at the office, job site, or on campus, most of us and the people in our lives can't start the day with an office-wide Bible study. Or spend our morning going from cubicle to cubicle or classroom to classroom, striking up conversations and making sure we talk about Jesus before the next, we see the next coworker. Or, or maybe after lunch, we don't call everybody to pray before a board meeting. I mean, in some companies they do. We don't stand up in our freshman class and lecture to proclaim Christ. Instead, mission often fits in the cracks of our work, our routines, maybe breakfast, maybe lunches, maybe Different times after work, inviting people over to your place, spending time together outside our daily regiments or daily requirements. Now, church, we have a mission to the world around us. 
We have a mission. And it's based on the fact that who we are in Christ. All that God has done for us in Christ. We are, he chose us before the foundation of the world. And he, that, that choosing, that election, as the Bible calls it, was, was applied to our lives when, when he saved us, called us to be born again into a living hope. That's when we realize that. And our lives have been changed forever. We are a royal priesthood. We, we don't serve ourselves. We, we, we serve our king. We serve him first. We, yeah, yeah we, we, we do, again, look out for ourselves and take care of our families and that kind of thing. Yes, we do all of that. But our motivation is ultimately to serve the king, King Jesus we're a holy nation. We're, we're, we're called to live differently than the world around us. We're, we're called to be distinct. And we are his own possession. We, we belong to him. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. And as a result, we have a glorious mission, don't we? A glorious mission to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Lord, and I just pray, I, I don't know what, what 2022 will bring. But whatever it does bring, I want you to know, church, that it doesn't change who you are in Christ. Nothing's gonna change that. Again, nothing's gonna change the fact that we have a mission to each other and to the world around us. Again, yeah, it might look differently today with what's going on with COVID and different things. But again, it's good as we start this year to be reminded of who we are and know that we have a mission to the world around us. And, may, and as we think about 2022, may, may again we be on fire for that mission because of who we are May we again with joy and with, with passion serve one another and, and, and serve the world around us by showing them who Christ is. And I pray that as we think about that and as we contemplate that, that 2022 will be a, a time where we can look back maybe in 2023, a year from now, and say, you know what, God has done great things. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just ask today as we have perhaps thought about some heavy things here this morning, as we think about who we are and, and the mission that we have, Lord God, I just pray that we will continue to rejoice in who we are in Christ of all that you have done for us. I just pray that we will understand that, that it's something that, that we did not deserve, but it's all because of your grace and your love that we are here this morning. And Lord God, I just pray that as we, as we think about who we are, Lord God, recognize that that we have a gospel message, a good news message to the world around us. And I just pray that 
whatever may come, what, that will not stop. Because we know that as according to your word, and we read according to your word, the gospel is unstoppable. But again, may we, again, be, be passionate about being those, those vessels to share the good news, to see people saved and discipled. All for your glory. As you've given us this mission, given us this work to do. Lord God, you alone are worthy. Give us the strength we need from your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name.